All right. Let's turn over to Proverbs chapter 15 this evening. Proverbs chapter number 15. And we'll be looking at verses 12 through 22, but I want to draw our attention to verse 14, and that's where we'll start our study, our exposition tonight of Proverbs 15, verses 12 through 22, looking at verse 14 together. The Bible says, The heart of him that hath understanding seeketh knowledge, but the mouth of fools feedeth on foolishness. The heart of him that hath understanding seeketh knowledge, but the mouth of fools feedeth on foolishness. One of the very first things that struck me in that particular verse was that this verse is teaching us that the words of the righteous or the words of the pure are observable. And what I mean by that is that what a man says or what a man does is often more important than what he says. Uh, we are a people of words. Uh, we speak uh, words when we shouldn't. We speak words when we should. Uh, we often speak sometimes, if we're honest with one another, we speak simply to hear ourselves talk. Sometimes our words have value. Sometimes our words have no value. Sometimes our words are edifying. Sometimes our words are destroying. We've learned throughout this series about the power of our words and that words we speak uh, ought to be words that bring edification, they bring encouragement, uh, they bring someone to be uplifted. But isn't it an interesting thought to consider that how can words be observed or how can words be seen? As you know, words are worthless if they're not accompanied by deeds of goodness. Of course, we know as believers today that our works, our deeds, they do not redeem us, they don't keep us saved, but they are the result or should be the outflow of our heart that's been changed. Something's taken place in us that now uh, the words that we speak ought to match the deeds that we do. In other words, we ought to be people not just of words or people just of deeds, but people of deeds and words that are words and deeds of truth. We ought to speak truth. We ought to uh, live truth. We ought to be able to have someone look at us and say, that's a person who lives the truth. What does it mean to have a heart that has understanding and a heart that seeks knowledge? A heart that has understanding is a heart that has an understanding of divine and spiritual things. In other words, a heart that understands, understands the reality of God's work in their life, God's work in their heart. They understand and acknowledge the work of the gospel, what the gospel has done in their, their individual souls. And understanding the gospel and understanding spiritual things means we have an understanding or a comprehension of truth. Uh, I'm, I don't know about you, but I'm finding myself more and more humbled by the reality that God has allowed me through His Word to know what the truth is. Uh, truth is becoming more and more hard to detect. Everything you hear and everything you see and everything that is said is not always truth. Just because someone says it doesn't mean it's true. Just because someone did it doesn't mean it's true. It must be accompanied by those things that are accompanied by the change of the heart. In other words, those who speak of spiritual things ought to live of spiritual things. I ought to be guided by the truth of the words of God, not by the works or the deeds of society. So if I have an understanding of the gospel, an understanding of spiritual things, then I'm going to seek more earnestly after those things. In other words, my life ought to be a constant pursuit of more knowledge, more truth of who Jesus Christ is and of his word. My motivation every time I get up every day ought to be, I want to know Christ more today. Like the Apostle Paul said, I want to know Him and the power of His resurrection. I want to know more about the things of God. A heart that has understanding has a desire to know more of Christ. Not just what He did on the cross, but even Christ in His person today, in His various offices, and how He extends and gives and sustains us in His amazing grace. 
We follow each and every day. We press towards the mark of the high calling of God through Christ Jesus. We follow one to know Christ and not be content with what we know now. What you know about God today is not enough. You ought to press forward for more. A person who has understanding hears, reads, prays, and meditates upon the Word. The Word is our source of truth. Why do we read the Word of God? Well, hopefully you don't read the Word of God just because you do it out of some kind of responsibility or habit. But you do it out of a love for God. You do it out of a love for His Word. His words. You do it because the more knowledge you have of the Son of God, the more spiritual peace and the more joy you're going to have in this life. I don't say this as a cliche, but you and I ought to be the most joyful people on this planet. You ought to be demonstrating joy every single day. Your words and deeds ought to demonstrate I've been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ and I am joyful. Now, in this text, in these verses, there's a number of different individuals, words and deeds that are given. It's like I mentioned. It's the... It's the observing of people's words. You see, we observe the words of people by their actions. What they do is observing their words. If what they say is what they do, or is what they say not what they do. My actions are observed. There's really two main categories I want us, or headings I want us to look at tonight. In verses 12 through 17, I want us to consider that the words of the pure are observed in their joy. The words of the pure are observed in their joy. And then secondly, verses 18 through 22, the words of the pure are observed in their humility. So we've got two real main points about these observable words. They are words that ought to be joyful and words that ought to be spoken in humility. Again, our desire for more knowledge of God is not so that we become arrogant, but that so our words and our actions match what's happened in our hearts. That's why that verse says, the heart of him that hath understanding seeketh knowledge. But again, we'll speak more about this when we get to the verse again, but the mouth of fools feedeth on foolishness. See, a fool only eats and desires more foolishness. He feeds on it. She feeds on it. It's not something they can get enough of. They continue to feed on foolish things. Now in verse 12, we're reintroduced to an individual. This is not the first time we've heard about this person, but the person's referred to as a scorner. And a scorner here in verse 12 says, A scorner loveth not one that reproveth him, neither will he go unto the wise. Now we've kind of learned this throughout our study that a scorner is a person who resents the idea of being corrected or being reproved. So what they do in order to not accept or have to be the subject of reproof, they will avoid wise people so that their ways will not be called into question. In other words, if I just avoid someone wise, I can keep on doing what I'm doing because nobody will be there to correct me. But here's the reality about the fool. The fool can't avoid God. The fool must deal with God whether he or she wants to deal with God or not. In other words, he's got to deal with Him and it's going to be a, a sobering day when the wicked one has to account for all the times he refused words of wisdom, words of instruction, or when it was neglected, or even, sadly, the grace of God was despised. So we might, we might describe the scorner by being someone who is proud, self-willed. They have a strong opinion. Very rarely, if ever, will they consider themselves wrong. They seem to have a handle on everything. They'll never go to the wise for learning. They'll never go to the wise to ask or to be instructed. And they don't like people coming to Him with corrections either. 
They are people that despise reproof. Now in this particular chapter, we saw this back in verse number 5, when we saw this verse, a fool despiseth his father's instruction, but he that regardeth reproof is prudent. Verse 10, correction is grievous unto him that forsaketh the way, and he that hateth reproof shall die. And then verse 32 of this same chapter, He that refuseth instruction despiseth his own soul, but he that heareth reproof getteth understanding. So this is the man or the woman that rejects the words of wisdom. People speaking pure words. Now again, I would submit to you that those pure words ought to be accompanied with pure actions. The second one he mentions in verse 13, A merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance, but by sorrow of the heart the spirit is broken. Do you know who the most joyful person on this planet is? The most joyful, let's get more specific, the most joyful believer is the person whose heart is at rest. And what I mean by that is, is that they can rejoice at all times. They can rejoice in any circumstance. I like the description, a merry heart. A merry heart. It's, it's, a, it's a, a description of something that can only be found in God. More specifically, I think the merry heart can only be found in a person who truly knows Christ. They've truly found Christ as their Savior, and Christ is not just the one who redeemed them. That is where they find their daily satisfaction. Are you satisfied in Christ today? I'm not asking, is He part of your satisfaction? I'm saying, are you satisfied in Christ entirely? A merry heart is one who's found their satisfaction in Christ for everything. Now to be satisfied in Christ, folks, means that you have to cast all of your cares upon Him. Quite honestly, most of us are trying to carry too much. You're carrying burdens you were not equipped to carry. You're trying to carry things and worry about things and be anxious about things that you cannot possibly, and the merry heart is going to escape you. The reality here is, is we understand that a person who has this merry heart or this, this happy individual is a person who has learned, by the way, learned to commit all of their circumstances, all of their life into his hand. Listen, one of the grand truths that it's taken me many, many years, and I still have not gotten this, is to give everything over to the Lord. Give it over to Christ. The opposite of a merry heart is a burdened heart. There's a lot of people burdened. There's a lot of believers that are burdened down. My, my, reality, or my opinion of this is, is that they're burdened down because they have not learned how to cast their care upon the Lord. And by the way, it's learned. You learn to find satisfaction in Christ. You learn to have a cheerful countenance even when things aren't so good. You learn to have a glad heart even when you're not so glad. You see, that's a merry heart. That's a person that when they speak about their joy, their life demonstrates the joy. Observable words. You know, when you try to speak and tell people that you have a merry heart, if you don't truly have it, it's obvious. I, I've watched Christians over the years try to convince me that they're really joyful and happy. And yet you can see they're just trying to convince themselves that I don't feel as bad and as awful as I really do. But when you talk to somebody who's truly found their satisfaction in Christ from their salvation through all of their daily life, you will find a person that can't help but speak about the joy of God and they can't help but live out the joy of God. That's why the words are observable. You see, a person who is, has a merry heart delights in Christ because He cares for us. Friends, there's nothing that will break you down more 
than trying to hide grief in your heart and trying to hide discouragement. Trying to just say, no, I'm, I'm really merry. I, I have a really merry heart. I, I really find my satisfaction in Christ. There's nothing that will break you more as a believer than pretending that you have not given everything over to Christ. It'll break you. You say, I've been doing it for years. It'll eventually break you. Because you're never going to be your own satisfaction. And those burdens that you think I got to carry, you're not going to be able to hold them. The condition of a lot of believers is that they will not allow Christ to be their satisfaction. He not only bore our sin, but he also bears our burdens. Remember what the Apostle Paul said in the book of Philippians. This is, this is one of those passages that you could probably turn to every day because it would be applicable for that day. Philippians 4, verse 4. Paul writes, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Rejoicing is not just the words you say. It's actually the actions that you demonstrate. In other words, a person who's rejoicing doesn't just say I'm rejoicing. They actually are rejoicing. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing. If you circle your Bible, in your Bible, you might circle that phrase. Be careful for nothing. What does that mean? Be careful for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, here's, here's where you're given the burden. Let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now we're going to deal with this a little bit deeper in just a moment, this next verse. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Now watch verse 9 teaches us this is not something you just figure out. It's something you learn. These things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. And the God of peace shall be with you. What was Paul saying about observable words? He was saying, you've not only heard me say this, you've watched me do this. You see, the words of the pure are observable. Real joy is not only heard, it is seen. You're not going to convince anybody you're joyful just by saying it. You're going to convince people that you're joyful by actually doing it and living joyfully. Rejoicing. Verse 14, back in our text in Proverbs 15, we dealt with this, where we dealt with the first half. The heart of him that hath understanding seeketh knowledge, but the mouth of fools feedeth on foolishness. Let's dig in this a little bit deeper. You will become, this sounds like a cliche, but you will become like whatever you feed on. If you feed on foolishness all day, you're going to act like a fool. You're going to speak like a fool. If you fill your eyes and your ears with foolish things all day, that's what you're going to become. The man of understanding on the other side, we learned about this a few minutes ago, values knowledge and devotes himself to pursuing after profitable things. The fool is not looking for truth. The fool is looking for things that feeds his or her lust. A fool, folks, does not want truth. Sometimes you're going to get into a debate with somebody who has no desire for truth. They only have a desire for foolishness. Because why? The Bible says the fool feeds on foolishness. It's what he thinks on. We just read that passage in Philippians 4. Think on these things. Think on things that are true. Paul never says feed on foolishness. You notice how you never memorized a Bible verse in Scripture over years of memorization that said feed on foolishness? 
But you do read verses that say, think on these things. Think on things that are pure. Think on things that are lovely. Think on things that are true. Feed on the truth. A, f- a fool is always looking for something to draw himself towards his own desires. Vanity, folly, A fool becomes more foolish than he was the day before. A fool becomes more empty than he was the day before. So if you've learned Christ, if you've learned how to know Christ, then what we do is we leave behind the things of the world. Don't attempt to feed on this world's philosophies as a believer. Stop taking it in, folks. At some point, you got to cut it off. It's no wonder believers are so discouraged right now because you're feeding on foolishness. Now again, there's a big difference in being informed and feeding on it. Information sometimes comes very quickly. And you get the information. Feeding on it is just kind of the idea of chewing on it. And you're continuing to chew on it. And you keep going back to it and going back to it and going back to it. And then before you know, you're not thinking biblically. You're not acting biblically. You're not speaking biblically. And you're no longer joyful. Your joy has been robbed because you find yourself feeding on foolish things. And by the way, we're all guilty of this. It happens to us. There's a breakdown. There's a breakdown between what we really are and what our old nature still wants to pursue after. Listen, if you set the Lord before you and you find your satisfaction in Christ, set your mind on things that are edifying, you will grow in grace, you will grow in the knowledge of the truth. Psalm 119, the longest psalm, David speaks these words about this. Psalm 119, 103 And this was David. This is how David felt about the word of God. How sweet are thy words unto my taste. Yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through thy precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, and how we need to hear this, I hate every false way. How do I learn how to hate things that are not true? Through His Word. Through His precepts, I get understanding. The person who has a knowledge of the true wisdom, the true wisdom that's found in Christ, they want more knowledge. Just like David says, I, the, your words were so sweet, they were sweeter than honey to my mouth. In other words, I wanted more of it. Now we know that Solomon, who of course penned most of the Proverbs, did not always act in wisdom. As a matter of fact, you read towards the end of, his, end of his life, he began to make decisions and choices that were not wise. But there was a point when Solomon desired God's wisdom. And he desired God's wisdom because he was getting ready to rule God's people. Now remember, Solomon was David's uh, son. So he's following David upon the throne of Israel. And in 1 Kings chapter number 3, I love this because this is the desire of Solomon for the wisdom of God. Matter of fact, Solomon goes to God and his prayer is, God, give me more wisdom. 1 Kings 3 verse 5. The Bible says in Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night and God said, ask what I shall give thee. I I chuckled this morning. Imagine God coming to you and saying, what do you want? And I thought, now would I answer the way Solomon's going to answer? Here's God asking me, what do you want? And Solomon said, thou hast showed unto thy servant David my father great mercy, according as he walked before thee in truth and in righteousness and in uprightness of heart with thee. And thou hast kept for him this great kindness that thou hast given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. And now, O Lord my God, thou hast made thy servant king instead of David my father. And I am but a little child. I know not how to go out 
were come in. And thy servant is in the midst of thy people, which thou hast chosen, a great people that cannot be numbered or counted for multitude. Give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people, that I may discern between good and bad, for who is able to judge this thy so great a people? And the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. And God said unto him, Because thou hast asked this thing, and hast not asked for thyself long life, neither hast asked riches for thyself, nor hast asked the life of thine enemies, but hast asked for thyself understanding to discern judgment. Behold, I have done according to thy words. Lo, I have given thee a wise and understanding heart. Isn't that what our main text was in Proverbs 15, 14? Here's Solomon doing that very thing. Neither after thee, or there, so that there's none like thee before thee, neither after thee shall any arise like unto thee. And I have also given thee that which thou hast not asked, both riches and honor, so that there shall not be any among the kings like unto thee all thy days. And if thou wilt walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments as thy father David did walk, then I will lengthen thy days. Now you think about it. Solomon prayed and asked for wisdom. Later on in chapter 4 of 1 Kings, uh, 1 Kings chapter 4, later on in that, uh, in, in that next chapter, in verse 29, he does it again. God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding exceeding much and largeness of heart, even as the sand that is on the seashore. And Solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of all the children of the east country and all the wisdom of Egypt. You see, the wise man is always seeking to learn and to know more about God. The fool is always feeding and devouring upon silly, worthless, slanderous, wicked things. Anything that comes his way turns his attention to him. Folks, be careful. Be careful what you allow yourself to feed on. It is not difficult to find yourself feeding on foolishness. In verse 15, back in our text, all the days of the afflicted are evil, but he that is of a merry heart. It's the second time he's used the phrase, a merry heart hath a continual feast. Now this verse is really, it's very close to what we just saw in verse number 13. One who is, who is in a case of affliction or one who is, is always looking and seeing things as a cause to be despondent or discouraged. That's a horrible way to live. I don't mean to get personal, but I've known people, I'm telling you, they get up every day looking for the worst thing they can look for, and it's no wonder that their days and their life is miserable. They get up looking for it. They get up and they think about their circumstances, and they think about, and they're real circumstances, but they, they dwell on it. It becomes the very thing that drives them. But when the heart is cheerful, when the heart is joyous, like we've been talking about, the Bible says the soul has a continual feast. He's not talking about some frivolous idea here. He's talking about holy joy when he realizes everything in my life can be traced back to a sovereign God. Everything in my life can be traced back to a sovereign God. You know, we love to talk about the sovereignty of God, except when it becomes, when it gets down to our own personal lives. We like God's sovereignty and salvation. Matter of fact, we're one of the rare Baptists that love sovereignty of God and salvation. We love it because we know that that is the only means of salvation. But if you want to trust in a sovereign God, then you have to trust in a sovereign God even when circumstances are not so joyous. Now again, I'm not speaking from here as a person who's got this completely nailed down. I'm just telling you, if you trace everything back to God, you realize that if everything's traced back to God, then there is a, a, an understanding of joy that ought to be there. Joy in my words, joy in my actions. 
Verse 16 and 17, this is very practical. Better is little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble therewith. This is one of those most straightforward Proverbs you're ever going to read. It's better to have very little on your table and have God than to have a whole lot of treasure and not have God. Listen, if you've got bread and water on your table, if you've, if you've got uh, the very, even at the very minimum and you have God, you are the richest person in the world. To have God is to have everything. It is to, it's better to have very little because you can with joy thank the Lord for everything that you have. Much better, far better to have very little on this earth and to know Christ to abide and live in the fear of God than to have great treasures and luxury. Folks, understand something. The world's motivation, most of untruth, untruthful things you hear are guided with the idea of becoming rich. A man or a woman will lie, cheat, and steal to acquire more treasure. People will risk their lives and die for more treasure. More treasure that they don't need. Husbands, wives, they will, they will set their families on a course of acquiring more treasure instead of setting their children's hope in God. And if you don't set your children's hope in God when they're very young, don't be surprised when they get older why they are pursuing what the world says to pursue. The world says pursue after worldly treasure. I'd much rather have poor children and grandchildren who knew the Lord someday than to have rich who didn't know God. But that's not the way the world thinks. The world says joy is only found in having a lot of things. Verse 17, better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a stalled ox and hatred thereof. I mean, it's so practical. Better to have just a little than to have what seems to be more but actually have hatred. You see, the words of the pure are observed in their joy. Secondly, 18 through 22, and these will move a little bit quicker. The words of the pure are observed in their humility. Verse 18, a wrathful man stirreth up strife, but he that is slow to anger appeaseth strife. This is almost identical to the very first verse of this chapter where we read, a soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. We've been reminded how easily a wrathful man is brought to anger. A wrathful man is a proud man. Otherwise, he wouldn't be so easily angered. You see, pride's what angers a man. Humble people, humble believers are slow to anger. Why? Because a humble believer has learned the principle and the precept of the Word of God to not think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. Do you know how practical that thought is? Do you know how much trouble you'll get yourself into if you think more highly of yourself than you should? If you think... The solar system revolves around you. Do you know how much trouble you're going to get in? If you think your family revolves around you, do you know how much trouble your family is going to get in? Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to. That's in every area of life. Don't think more highly of yourself in your church, in your job, in your home. Listen, can you imagine if we all lived in that biblical humility? If we spoke humility and lived humility? If you have to tell somebody you're humble, you're probably not. Because your, your words of humility are going to come out. They're going to be demonstrated in the, in the way that you live. Humility can't be faked. You cannot fake humility. Nobody buys it. <laughs> because they know it's not coming from a real heart that's been changed. A humble person does not quickly resent insults and offenses. You and I do not have to respond to every insult that's thrown at you. <laughs> you don't. And, and I got to learn this. We all got to learn this. It, it's that idea of knowing wisdom knows when to speak and when to not speak. But we also need to understand that humility brings us to a place where we can easily put off things 
because we know that our satisfaction is found in God. Now notice it says that this wrathful man stirreth up strife. In other words, he's the cause of a lot of contention. Why? Because he wants things stirred up. There are people in this world who love and thrive on conflict. <laughs> now, I despise conflict. I don't like it. I don't like it in any form. I don't like it on any level. Sometimes you can't avoid it. Sometimes conflict has to come. But I don't go looking for conflict. I don't intentionally want conflict to come. There are some that thrive on conflict. Instead of being the one who stirs up contention, we ought to be humble people who are slow to anger and peacemakers. Remember teaching little children to be peacemakers. I think us adults, need a we need a refresher course in being a peacemaker. We tell our kids, be a peacemaker. But then our actions show that maybe we're, we're stirring up contention. Proverbs 26, 21 Again, all these, all these principles are not ever just found in one place. Proverbs 26, 21 says this, As coals are to burning coals and wood to fire, so is a contentious man to kindle strife. Proverbs 29, 22, An angry man stirreth up strife, and a furious man aboundeth in transgression. There's a, an old saying that it requires two people to make a quarrel and where one keeps his temper and will not be provoked, anger subsides. So we understand that these things are, these aren't easy, but the, the, the words of the pure, these observations of our actions and our words. Verse 19, the way of a slothful man is a hedge of thorns, but the way of the righteous is made plain. Really, directly, this verse is, is teaching us that there are, there's difficulties that are in the mind or the way of the slothful man, the man who is, who is lazy, the man who is not willing to work. And you, you start thinking about this, and that lazy, slothful individual always seems to have excuses for why he can't do what he needs to do. He knows what to do, but he refuses to do it. On the other hand, the upright, the way of the righteous is made plain. In other words, they find their responsibility to live a certain way, and they make a way. It's, it's, uh, it's, I, I don't know the kind of conversations you have in your home, but we, from time to time, have interesting conversations. Conversations about life and conversations about how to take things and uh, what do we do. You know, conversations that are uh, not officially counseling sessions, but they're, what do we do? And we sometimes have, have spoken about how it's becoming more and more uh, witnessed in society that we seem to quit a lot easier than we used to quit. Like, it doesn't take anything to stop people dead in their tracks anymore. Almost as if, if something obstacle comes up, we just blame the obstacle instead of making a way. Make a way through it. Make a, make a way. I was listening to Peter Masters from the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London on this past Sunday morning. And I don't know how he got on the subject because the text was not about what it must have just been something that was on his heart. And he was, he's, he's talking to the city of London. I said, no, no, that doesn't affect us. That's London. That's, that's not us. But he said something that was so profound. He said, I'm not sure in our modern generation that we could even live through or withstand a war because we've grown soft. We, we are a generation of soft business. One obstacle comes up and we're like, well, that's it. I just quit. I'm done. And he, was, he went on to describe what it was like to live through, through the bombings in, in those world wars. And how people would, would be afraid to... I mean, life went on while these bombing runs were going on. Sirens would go off about incoming, incoming bombs and people went on. 
And you know, we, we get some adversity in our life and we get some things going on in our life and we say, this is just too hard. There's always been a generation who's gone through something much harder than we've gone through. And, it, and again, this might be a, a stepping away from this for a moment, but, but really, finding a way to get through it. You know, we talk about, I'm going to do it, I'm going to get through it, but actually living that. I, I'm, I'm convinced, disagree with me or agree with me, pardon the English, we ain't seen nothing yet. If, I saw another great quote. If you think this is persecution, I don't know what you're living through. It's, 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 a, it's a generation who's just said, listen, it's hard, so let's just quit. But yet, if God's commanded us these things, if God's told us we've got to obey His Word, we press forward in obedience. If God tells us to go, we go. If God tells us to stay, we stay. David, again, in Psalm 18, he used these, these words, and this is, goes right along with this in verse 28. And I'm going to try to move a little bit quicker here. Psalm 18, uh, verse 28. He says, For thou wilt light my candle, the Lord my God will enlighten my darkness. For by thee I have run through a troop, and by my God... Have I leaped over a wall? As for God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler to all those that trust in Him. For who is God save the Lord, or who is a rock save our God? It is God that girdeth me with strength and maketh my way perfect. He maketh my feet like hinds feet and setteth me upon my high places. He teacheth my hands to war so that a bow of steel is broken by mine arms. Thou hast also given me the shield of thy salvation and thy right hand hath holden me up and thy gentleness hath made me great. We simply obey and follow God. Verse 20 again teaches us about a wise son. And how a son relates to a father, relates to a mother. Again, not a new principle here, but it's, it's a, a great reminder again of, of all these things that lead into wisdom. A wise son maketh a glad father, but a foolish man despiseth his mother. You compare that with what we read back in Proverbs 10.1. It is a wise son that gladdens the heart of his father. How does a son gladden his father's heart by following the instruction and the counsel and the words saying it and living it a foolish man considers himself superior to his own mother he ignores her loving advice helpful counsel he says i don't need it he is in fact that one that feeds on foolishness Proverbs 30, verse 17 says, The eye that mocketh at his father and despiseth to obey his mother, the ravens of the valley shall pick it out and the young eagles young eagle shall eat it. Boy, I tell you, that's, that's kind of a frightening verse. Mocks his father, despises his mother. Now again, I don't try to draw too many things that directly, but... Look out, folks. Look, look at generations who despise their father. They despise their mother. They mock their parents. And we look and we wonder what in the world's going on. I don't know when it started, but it started somewhere along the line where parents decided, I just want my children to like me, and they stopped parenting. We are, we are reaping what was sown. Listen, I hope after all the years, I hope that years down the road, that my children as they're adults now, they love their father. But our goal was not for them to be our friend. They need parents. 
do not allow a child to mock a father one time. Don't allow a child to disobey the mother one time. Don't think it's cute if they do. These are all principles that we should be living by. These are things that ought to be so ingrained in us as believers that we just know. There's absolutely nothing that makes a father happier than to know that his children walk in the way of truth. 3 John 4. Despising one's mother is the opposite of the fifth commandment. Honor thy father and thy mother. A child who is brought up to honor his parents will usually grow up and bring honor and gladness to them even when they're old. And then verse 22 or verse 21. Folly is joy to him that is destitute of wisdom, but a man of understanding walketh uprightly. That fool we keep talking about keeps pressing on. He's rejoicing in his foolishness. He's feeding on foolishness. He delights in sin. And he's determined to have his own way even when others try to turn him from going that direction. The man of integrity, the man of purity submits himself in the fear of God and he walks in uprightness because he refuses to be deceived by the world around him. You see, it's a wise man, verse 22, who heeds counsel. Without counsel, purposes are disappointed, but in the multitude of counselors, they are established. This is good for all of our life, folks. You are never so wise that you don't need counsel. You are never going to arrive to where you become the authority on everything. You are going to face something in your life as a parent, as a husband, as an employee, something where you are going to need the counsel of someone else. And the only thing that will keep you from seeking counsel is your own pride. Every time I have failed to seek counsel, it's because of my own pride. I failed to seek counsel in situations even though I knew the person who I'd get counsel from knew exactly what they were talking about because they'd been through it and I said I don't need it. You see, there's never a time when you are the all-knowing wise one. There's always someone who you need to get counsel from. And it is a wise man that understands that without counsel, purposes are disappointed. What we're seeking to do will be brought down. Be sure you seek counsel, especially in areas where more than just you is going to be affected. I can't tell you how often those are the things that we don't realize is that we fail to get counsel because we think we don't need it. But other people were depending upon us getting that good counsel. So sadly, what we bring to a conclusion here is number one, that we are seeing less and less of observable joy and humility in believers. But the truth is that a heart that has God in it, a heart that has understanding, a heart that knows that my joy and my peace and my happiness is not found in what I have or what I acquire or what I might have, the heart of those in Christ know that the love of God that's been shed abroad in their hearts is more than enough. Our joy, speaking joy, living joy, speaking humility, living humility, only comes by the understanding that Christ is our total satisfaction. We live by faith. We live in the very faith that saved us. We live on the provisions of His daily grace. We're not just living unto a world unto ourselves. We're living to bring glory and honor and praise to He who saved us. Our words ought to match our actions. Our words ought to be observable. When people see us, they ought to know, now that's a person that does exactly what they say. Their yea is yea and their nay is nay. It's not sometimes this is what they say and then they do something opposite. Or this sometimes what they say and then they, do, they say something opposite. It ought to be consistent. I love that one phrase, that continual feast. Continually feasting on Christ instead of feeding on foolishness. The heart of him that hath understanding seeketh knowledge, but the mouth of fools feedeth 
on foolishness. Let's conclude tonight with our reading from the Valley of Vision, chapter 7, page 286, entitled Blessings. Thou great three and one, author of all blessings I enjoy, of all I hope for, thou hast taught me that neither the experience of present evils, nor the remembrance of former sins, nor the remonstrances of friends, will or can affect a sinner's heart. Except thou vouchsafe to reveal thy grace and quicken the dead in sin, by the effectual working of thy Spirit's power. Thou hast shown me that the sensible effusions of divine love in the soul are superior to and distinct from bodily health, and that oft times spiritual comforts are at their highest when physical well-being is at its lowest. Thou hast given me the ordinance of song as a means of grace. Fit me to bear my part in that music ever new, which elect angels and saints made perfect. Now sing before thy throne and before the Lamb. I bless thee for tempering every distress with joy. Too much of the former might weigh me down. Too much of the latter might puff me up. Thou art wise to give me a taste of both. I love thee for giving me clusters of grapes in the wilderness and drops of heavenly wine that set me longing to have my fill. Apart from thee, I quickly die. Bereft of thee, I starve. Far from thee, I thirst and droop. But thou art all I need. Let me continually grasp the promise. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. What a wonderful way to end our service this week. Let's stand together. We'll be dismissed in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your goodness to us. Lord, thank you for this time we've had around your word. Lord, I thank you for the personal remembrances and reminders you've given to me. I thank you that, Lord, even as this has been taught and preached tonight, that You've reminded me of how good you've been, not just to myself, but to my family, to our church. We thank you, Lord, for blessing us in such mighty ways. Lord, I pray that we would not leave here as hearers only, but that we would leave here as doers. Not doing in the sense that we could ever earn it or be worthy of it, but that we would do and live and say of that which has taken place in our heart. We've been saved by the magnificent grace of God. And may we live in that grace. May we live a life that is pleasing to you, points others to the cross, deals with people truthfully, deals with them as peacemakers. Lord, help us to be a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for giving us this time tonight. Bless us as we leave and go our separate ways and may our hearts be hungry and thirsty for your word and being able to gather again this coming Lord's Day. We'll be careful to thank you for it all. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. All right. Thank you so much. Look forward to seeing you on Sunday. Lord bless you.